Hello and welcome. For those of you who don't know, my name is Lena, and today I will be reading Neville Goddard's lecture from 1964 titled Go Down to the Potter's House. Tonight is like every other night, really, the same story told over and over and over. The title is taken from the 18th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and so he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do, verse 1. Now the word potter, by definition, is your own wonderful human imagination. That's the potter. So if I go down to the potter's house, I simply turn my interest within and wonder, what, what am I imagining? So I hold myself, or I hold you, or some situation in my mind's eye, and it's not as I would like it to be. So I am making something that seemingly, at the moment, is spoiled. But I don't discard it. I reshape it into another state, as it seemed good to me to do. So I am called upon to practice this wonderful art of reshaping images that are not as they ought to be based upon my desire for them. So I hear something of a friend and it's not good. All right, I'm holding it. If I heard it in my mind's eye, I'm told not to accept it because reason dictates it. My senses allow it. But to reshape it into another vessel as it seems good to me to do. Now the entire chapter, the 18th chapter of the book of Jeremiah, is devoted to repentance. If I say that I will give evil to this nation and they repent, then I will repent of the evil that I intended. If, on the other hand, I say I will do good and they return from their way into the evil, uh, into the evil way, I will repent of the good that I said I would do for them. Verse 10. So the whole thing is based upon change of mind, and the whole thing is based upon God. There is only God in this world, and God is your own wonderful human imagination. So I go down to the potter's house, and the potter's imagination. It shapes, it fashions. One of the definitions is to determine to make a resolution. So you resolve to do this, that, or the other. So at the moment when you resolve to do it, to be successful in this world, or to be something in this world other than what you are, at the moment of your resolution, reason denies it, your senses deny it, but you resolve to do it, you are told to remain faithful to that resolution. If you remain faithful to it, trusting in your imaginal act as though it were fact, then it will externalize itself within your world. If you remain faithful to the imaginal act, that's what the story is telling us. Now let us turn to the 8th chapter of the book of Ezekiel. It shows you what, men, what man does in this world. And so we are told the voice came to Ezekiel. The word means God strengthens. And here he calls him son of man. The one title used of Jesus Christ. He always referred to himself only by the name son of man. So in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is called the son of man son of man, and he takes him in spirit, for he never left physically. Ezekiel, if you read the story carefully, he never left Tel Aviv, which means the top of the Mount 
of the flood. He never left that area physically, but he always transported in spirit and transported in spirit into these areas that the Lord would show him. So he brought him to the court. As he brought him to the court, he said, Son of man, look, and there as I looked, I saw a hole in the wall. Then said he to him, Son of man, dig. And so he dug. And as he dug, he saw a door. Then said he to him, Son of man, go in and see the vile abomination that they are doing here. As he went in, on all the walls all around he saw all the creeping or portrayed upon the walls, all the creeping things of the world. These violent abominations all around. And then he said to him, Son of man, do you see what what frightful abominations the elders of Israel are doing in the dark? Every one in his own room of pictures. And they say to themselves, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. Verses 5 through 14. Around on the walls, well, where is this wall? He saw a hole in the hole he dug, and the hole became a door that he could enter. And see the elders of the house of Israel performing these abominations out of the things engraved upon the wall. They were all creeping things and horrible monstrous things, all brute force. What does it mean to us? Well, it means this much. If there is one thing that man worships in this world, it is power. It is force. We speak of brute as force, and force as brute force. Any man who falls victim to it falls below the level of man. He enters the brute world, whether you be a politician, a religious leader, a social leader, anyone who thinks of power, sheer brute force. It can be financially, or it can be financial power, social power, political power, and they all use, and they are all, and they all are, sorry, in the room. Well, what is this room? It's here, right in your own wonderful skull. Everything that you behold, though it appears without, it is within, in your own wonderful human imagination, of which this world of mortality is but a shadow, Blake, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Plate 71. So from this combination of these brutes, these creeping, strange things engraved upon the mind, man makes patterns and externalizes these things in his world. Then what is this little hole spoken of? If I read a simple little statement in scripture, Son of man, look, and behold, I looked and I saw a hole in the wall. Now you would think a hole in the wall, it would be like I take a little hole through that wall here or that wall there. But don't take anything in scripture for granted. Look it up in your concordance, because you and I are living in a different age. Go back 2,000 years to find out what the inspired prophet meant when he wrote a word, which is now translated as whole, H-O-L-E. Well, to us, a hole could be a hole in the saw. It could be a hole in the piano. But does it really mean that? So go back and take a sentence and look it up. And what does the word hole mean in the concordance? The crevice of a serpent, the cell of a prison. That's what it means. It means the crevice of a serpent. Just imagine the crevice of a serpent and the cell of a prison. That's what it means. Now the 42nd chapter of Isaiah, and they were all trapped in holes and hidden in prisons, verse 22. The 14th chapter of the first book of Samuel, behold, Hebrews are coming out of holes in which they have hid themselves, verse 1 or verse 11. 
and you ask all these strange questions. What is this thing? Hebrews are coming out of holes in which they hid themselves, and all of us have been trapped in holes and hidden in cells. Well, I know from my own personal experience what this fantastic mystery is all about, and I share it with you. Here, in man's own wonderful skull, the whole drama is taking place. This is the rock out of which something was taken. And then God himself, this is the sepulchre in which God was buried. The rock-hewn stone in which he was buried, and with him all things are there. Now why is it the crevice of a serpent? Why, you mean, out of here? This is a hole somewhere, and he digs it. And he can enter it, and he calls... And he's called Son of Man, and it's called a door. Well, who made the statement? I am the door. He said, I am the door. Anyone who attempts to come in by any other way is a thief and a robber. I am the door, John ten seven. So he is the Son of Man who could enter and see what is taking place in this fabulous world within man. You and I not knowing, because we say the Lord does not see us, he has forsaken the land. So I think that if I stand here and I don't talk, I'm just thinking that no one knows what's going on because it, it's all alone. I haven't articulated it. I haven't expressed it. So I sit in the silence and I think no one sees it. Certainly God doesn't see it because I do not know who God is. So I think I'm all alone and I can take from this imagery these vile, horrible things and I can take all the creeping things and these abominable beasts. And from these horrible concepts, I hold of man, I can fashion what I want, and delight myself, and no one sees it, so I think. So he said, Son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark? Well, who are the elders of the house of Israel? We are. We are the fathers, all of us. We are the fathers who fell asleep. Fell asleep in this tomb, the sepulchre called the skull of man. And in this, we are creating the most horrible, monstrous things that we externalize in the world of shadows. And we think the reality is there, and the origin of it all is here, all within us, what we are doing. Now you can test it. I ask you to test it. Take someone who, think, who you think is out there, a friend who lives 3,000 miles away, Maybe he's in New York City and, if you, and you've heard from him and things are not going well. And you will think he is 3,000 miles away. All right, I ask you now to test the actual origin of all phenomenon. In your mind's eye, you bring him and hear him tell you the most fantastic story about his good fortune, his success, and believe in the reality of that imaginal act. Trust God, for God is doing it. Begin to prove who you really are and wait for confirmation seemingly, coming from there. The origin is here, all within your own wonderful human imagination. That's where God is. And so you take your friend seemingly out there, you bring him into your mind's eye, represent him to yourself as the man that you would like him to be. Hear him tell you all the lovely things that you want to hear and believe in the reality of what you imagine that you have heard and wait for confirmation seemingly coming from without the garment, or with, yeah, without the garment. Because the seed falls into the ground, and it has an interval of time between being sown in the earth and reaping in this world. So every little thing has its own appointed hour, 
As we are told, the vision, your vision now, has its own appointed hour. It ripens, it will flower. If it be long, then wait. For it is sure, and it will not be late. That's from the second chapter of Habakkuk, verse 3. Every vision in this world, if you don't disturb it, it has its own appointed hour. So that's your vision of one who seemingly can't make the grade in this world. He's unemployed. He can't make any money. He can't get beyond the eight ball, as it were, and you simply represent him to yourself as you want to see him. See him clearly in your mind's eye. And then one day this fabulous mystery will unfold within you. And I looked, and behold, the Hebrews were coming out of the holes where they had hidden themselves. Oh, what a fantastic story that is, all of a sudden, one day, unexpectedly, and a surprise beyond your wildest dreams, you are torn in two. Suddenly you find yourself looking at molten gold, and you know it is yourself, and you fuse with it, and like a serpent you go up right into that hole. The Son of Man must be lifted up. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, John 3.14. And you find yourself just like a serpent moving through that hole right into heaven, a redeemed being completely redeemed. The word is redeem or deliver. In scripture, when I read the word deliver, look it up in your concordance. What does it mean? A flux of blood, a flux of blood, saved by the blood of God. You are severed in two from the top of your head to the base of your spine. And there you stop and stare at the parted body like a cleft tree. At the base of the spine is molten gold. It's the blood of God, but you know it is yourself. Knowing it's yourself, you fuse with it. The word flux of blood also has a definition fusing. Look it up in your concordance. So you fuse with it as your very being, and then like this slippery being, up you go, right through that hole. And that hole is nothing more than you are told in your concordance, a cleft, the cleft of the serpent. Can you imagine that, the cleft of the serpent, the cell of a prison? A man is imprisoned in his skull. Everyone in this world is imprisoned in this rock. And the word rock in scripture, if you look it up in your concordance, is to encase, to confine. So man is completely confined within himself in his skull. And the moment will come when suddenly these things will happen to you when you will simply find yourself as this wonderful being, glimmering being, and being moved up into an entirely different new world. Then you go back and you ask, well, who is the serpent of the third chapter of Genesis? Who was he? What is the serpent who said to me, I could not die? You were told that you would die, yes, but really in the end you would not really die. And you ask, what is this serpent? Then you read it, to cause to fall. And the word, yad heh is primitive meaning, was to cause to fall or to cause to blow, or to cause the wind to blow. So who made us fall? Then you go into the book of Romans, and God consigned all men to disobedience, that so he may have mercy upon all. Verse 11.32 well, if the serpent caused me to disobey, and God caused all men to disobey, that he may have mercy upon all, who is the serpent? And therefore, who is that serpent that now goes up through the hole? For the hole is the crevice of a serpent. And you go up, just like a serpent, in a fiery manner, right through that hole, 
into your skull. So you think about it and you dwell upon it until it happens to you. May I tell you, come, let us go down to the potter's house. So I will go down to the potter's house, and there I see him working at his wheel. And the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, but he rewarded it into another vessel, or reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. So before this thing happens to you, as it has happened to me, then let us go to the potter's house and prove this law. Is this really true? All right, I will take someone now in my world and imagine that he is exactly as I want him to be. So if he is not as he should be now, then it's spoiled in my mind's eye. I'm not going to throw him away. I will not discard him as a friend. No one ought to be discarded. Bring him back into my mind's eye and then simply reshape him and see him as I would like him to be. And then believe in the reality of what I've seen. For I have imagined and wait, for all things have their own appointed hour, who wait for it and see it externalized within your world. Now we are told in the book of Numbers that, if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and I will speak with him in a dream. Verses 2-6 Well, this morning's mail brought a letter special delivery from a lady who is here tonight. These are revelations. And you listen to them carefully. She gave two. She said, I found myself in a very small room, very sparsely furnished. I was greatly disappointed, for I was looking for a man, and he wasn't there. Suddenly the room begin, began to feel with, fill with pearls. The vase, the table, all things began to fill with pearls, luscious, lovely, shimmering pearls. Then a voice said to me, You formerly had false pearls, and then you had cultured pearls, man-made pearls, and now you have the real pearl. He will find you. You don't have to search anymore. You've been looking for him, and you had your false pearls and cultured pearls. Now he will find you because you have found the real pearl, the true pearl. On the heels of this comes a second vision. The second is this. She found herself in another world, an enormous crowd that she's addressing, and she's telling them that imagining creates reality. No one believes it. It's a luscious crowd, the costumes and the gowns of the ladies and their jewels, and the attitude of mind of the men simply bespeak opulence. They're all successful, and of course they laughed and ridiculed the thought that imagining creates reality. When they have all these things, and these are not at all the cause or the result of imagining, these are something entirely different. And so they asked her to give up this stupid concept of hers, this nonsense they called it, she said, I will not part with my knowledge that imagining creates reality for one million dollars. At that moment, a card is wheeled towards her, and on the card, stacked in neat piles, beautifully piled, is one million dollars which they offered her. She said, not for ten times this amount would I part with this thought, this knowledge that I know. Imagining creates reality. So they whispered among themselves before this card came in, then, she said, when the cart came into her, she rejected it. She simply waved her hand and whisked it away. Then her oldest daughter appeared, and the oldest daughter said to her, Well, mother, why didn't you take it if you didn't want it and give it to me? Now, said the lady in her afterthought, that was the end of the vision. Every time this daughter, which is very seldom she does, but every time she appears in my dreams, she represents reason. 
She said, Neville, she's a very nice, devoted, sincere, ardent Catholic. Her church teaches, and she has accepted it 100%, that Catholicism appeals to the reasonable man. And so that would be reasonable. She represents reason to take it. All right, she ought to take it. That's a reasonable man. In other words, play the game, the word of politics. That's what she really believed. That is what it represents. She said she never speaks of you by name, would never call the word Neville. She always refers to you as him. So when I come home from your lectures on Tuesdays and Fridays, and I go and get my Bible and my concordance, and Blake and look up the references that you've used, <coughs> she knows, well, if it does this to you that you go to the Bible, she said, well, what can you do with a mother who quotes the Bible? But as far as you are concerned, you are the Antichrist. So these were the visions, and these comments are all after the visions. The vision was she was offered a million dollars to deny the reality that imagination creates reality, deny the truth which she rejected. Then comes her daughter who personifies to her reason. Reason would have told anyone, well, take it anyway. What does it matter? Take the million dollars. You don't have to really give it up. Take it. But she rejected the million dollars. And then came the afterthoughts, analyzing these things for the speaker. So I say to you, let us all go down to the potter's house tonight. The potter's house is not out there. It's just where we're seated. Where I'm standing, where you're seated, and see what he's doing in this chamber of imagery. For when in the chamber of imagery are engraved all kinds of creeping things and abominable, abominable beasts, when you think of someone, you think he's not got good, and you res represent him as simply a glutton, a pig, a lion, a tiger, and you represent him in our own words. You represent him by reason of these things that are engraved upon the mind. It could be the most horrible thing in the world that you're thinking of him. You're called upon to recognize the fact that you're not really alone. You say that no one sees us, the Lord does not see us, and the Lord has forgotten the land. I tell you, he hasn't forgotten the land. For the simple reason, he entered death's door when you entered it. When man entered death's door, God entered it with him. And he entered it, and it seems crazy to tell it, in the form of a serpent. He caused you to disobey and came down and entered with you. And so, the hole through which you entered is the crevice of a serpent, also the cell of a prison. So you are imprisoned in that, in fact, you're dead. You are so still and so profound in your, in your sleep, you are, to all appearances, as though you are dead. But you are not dead. You are dreaming, and dreaming these horrible dreams all over the world. Now, knowing this, you can start to change. And prove you can change and modify the most horrible dream in the world. And bring it into a lovely dream and externalize the lovely part as we have done through the ages, the unlovely dreams. Everyone can do it. Here tonight, just before I came on the platform, a lady who imagined herself in the picture with Elvis Presley. Well, the first one didn't come to pass, all right. She still didn't give up because it didn't work. She just completed the last picture with him, finished only a few weeks ago. Not one thought in the world would have allowed her to believe she could have made it with him. She did. She simply didn't take no for an answer and simply imagined. 
Now, what you think of Presley has no point, hasn't a thing to do with the outside values. It's what you can make, it's what you can make come to pass in this world that's important. Can you imagine something and in spite of all things to the contrary, produce it and make it come to pass? That's all that matters. I tell you that God became you just as you are, assuming all the limitations and he's buried in a sepulcher. And the sepulcher is that rock-hewn state I call your skull. That's where he's buried and there he dreams. And he dreams, he dreams all kinds of things. The most horrible dreams, until one day he awakes. When he awakes, he comes out. That whole thing is split right down the middle, and then you will understand all these strange words of Scripture. Behold, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have been hidden. The 14th chapter of the book of First Samuel. Then go back and read the 42nd chapter of the book of Isaiah. And there, they were all hidden in these holes, in these prisons. So we were imprisoned and hidden behind these holes. Then comes the splitting of the entire temple of God. And here you see your deliverer. And the word deliverer in scripture is defined as flux of blood. You look at it and it is golden, radiant energy. It's liquid, molten gold. You look at it and you know it is yourself. As you know it, you fuse with it. Another definition of the word deliverance is fusion. And you fuse with it. Up like a serpent you go through that hole. That's how the new Jerusalem is being established. Everyone redeemed. Not one will be lost. In all my holy mountain. No one can be discarded, for it would be God discarding himself. That's unthinkable. So no matter what a man has done, no matter what a man is doing, it's only a nightmare if it isn't along the lines of love. All right, he'll come back to it. But you, knowing this, believe. Like the lady who remembered, even in vision, she remembered the statement from the platform. Imagining creates reality. To remember that while in vision and deny one million dollars and say, take it away. Then to have the personification of reason come into her world, her own child, and say, If you didn't want it yourself, why didn't you take it and give it to me? She recognized what the child represented. The child only represented reason, for she believes that her own Catholicism is the reasonable man's philosophy of life. It modifies and changes itself from day to day based upon the tacking of the wind. Just as the wind goes, it goes. Today, if it is not well productive or financially beneficial to go along a certain archaic line, so they will patch it. I saw in today's Time magazine this present council has now signed into law at the moment that Protestants, at first they said, Protestants have found him in Scripture. No, they mustn't, took out the word not, found him. They seek him in the Scriptures, well, you could put that there, you can't find him there. Scripture only confirms what you find in yourself. <clears throat> so in a way, you can almost say they're right. You first find him in yourself. All the symbolism unfolds in yourself. Then you go back in scripture and you read from the Holy Word of God confirmation of what has happened in you. That's perfectly all right. So you read about the hole in the wall and then you know what happened to you. How you went up just like a slippery serpent in a fiery manner, just as you're told in scripture. 
Well, then you go back into scripture and you have confirmation of what happened to you. Then you are told that only the Son can reveal the Father, John 1, 18 and Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27. It happens to you and then you realize that these so-called ancient stories aren't ancient at all. They're all contemporary. That these are symbolic persons and that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Moses, all of them are eternally true. And you know them more in intimately than you know anyone in this world. For everyone in this world is wearing a mask. Well, you don't know him. He's wearing a mask. Everyone in the world is hidden. You don't know them, really. I think I know my wife. I know my children, my father and mother, my friends. And they're all hidden by a mask. But these characters, eternal characters of Scripture, are not. You know them more intimately. No one has to introduce you to David when you meet David. You've always known that relationship of yourself to David, and he always has been your son. No one has to introduce you to Moses when you meet Moses. When you meet any character in Scripture, you've known them forever. Before the world was, all these were. We knew them all. They're parts of the great play, the great drama. And so when you encounter these characters in the depths of your soul and vision, no one tells you who they are. You know it more surely than you know anything here on earth. And then the whole thing unfolds within you and the whole tree begins to blossom. This is the great story of scripture. I'm going to take a sip of my tea. So here tonight, you and I can go down to the potter's house and take any person. I don't care what it is, no matter how far goes he seemingly is, or how far gone he seemingly is in the world of, well, our social world, and bring him back as you would have him. Be a good potter and mold him and fashion him into your own image of what he ought to be and believe in the reality of that. Listen to the words carefully. I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel that he was making a play was spoiled in the potter's hand, but he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to him to do. I didn't discard it. How often, Lord? Seventy times seven. So you have a child or you have a daughter-in-law, a son-in-law, a father-in-law, someone who is not as you think he or she ought to be? Don't discard them. Just bring them back seventy times seven into that image and be the good potter. Be the good artist and fashion him as you would like him to be. And then know that this thing is going to harden and then externalize itself upon the screen of space and you will see it in your world. Everyone could do it. So I challenge you to try it. You could be the man you want to be. I don't care what you are now. You can be what you want to be. What you're ultimately going to be that is in God's hands and no one is going to thwart it. He who began the good work in you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.6. Jesus Christ is the image of the, invincible, or of the invisible God. So when the image is complete, based upon his determined effort, well then he unveils it. No one is going to stop that image because it's his image. He's doing it. But within the framework of his purpose, you and I are invited to be imitators of God as dear children. He's a great potter, and he's molding me. So today's pain, don't condemn yourself because of it. Tomorrow's hurt, don't condemn yourself. 
It takes all these things to produce that image. But while we're being put through the works, as it were, we can be what we want to be within the framework of man. He has his own purpose, and no one's going to stop it. As I have planned it, so shall it be. As I have purposed it, so shall it stand, Isaiah 55, 11. And no one's going to thwart it. Every child born of woman is destined to bear the image of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the image of the invincible of the invisible God. So he who started the good work in you brings it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. So everyone is destined to actually be shaped as Jesus Christ. Then comes the unveiling, and you are unveiled in four mighty acts. And when the four mighty acts are completed, you are the image of the invisible. God with life in yourself. Not now worked upon, but a being who has life in himself. But while that is being done on you and in you, you are invited to imitate him and bring others into our world's eye and simply mold them in lovely patterns and see them become these lovely ladies and lovely gentlemen in our world. We can do it. Everyone can do it. So we're invited to do it. Now let us go into the silence and go down to the potter's house. Okay, there we have Neville Goddard's lecture. Go down to the Potter's House from 1964. Thank you so much for joining me, and I will see you next time. Bye now.